Hello and welcome to the Mindful Family Business. My name is Russ Hayworth and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Martin Stepek. In each episode, we will be exploring and learning about the ancient teachings of mindfulness and how we can apply these to situations within our family business. We are also offering access to a program that takes what we speak about and applies it to your own family business. More details of that at the end of the show. But for now, take a breath, relax and enjoy the show. Martin, welcome to this episode. Um, hope you're well, and uh, the sun is definitely shining where I am today, and um, I hope it is with you too. Well, normally I have been saying the sun has been shining every week since we started, and unfortunately today it's not. It's back to mm. beautiful, cloudy, rainy Scotland um, in our part, but I've had a great week and always been well. Fantastic. Good to hear. And we are going to be covering the topics or the, the um, elements of the eightfold path known as right mindfulness and right concert, right concentration and when we get onto that in more detail I'll let you explain why we're doing those together um, but as we've done in all previous episodes perhaps a summary of what, what we've covered already and, and um, why we're moving on to that would be a useful place to start today's conversation sure so what we've been doing together these weeks are exploring the summary of what the buddha taught two and a half thousand years ago and almost like a, a little formula to remember and that's the four truths that ennoble you the four truths that make you better able to live a life and the fourth of those truths is the eightfold path, which is the, the way you move to live a better life. And the four truths are a realisation, uh, an embedding in your head that life brings its problems, brings its dissatisfactions, suffering, issues. So it's starting from that realistic point of view. That's where you start from. Where does some of the problem come from? Some of it comes from within our mind. We can't control a volcano outside that's you know, about to hit a, a village. But what we can control is how we respond to things, how we feel about things. So that's the second truth. The first truth is this: there is suffering. The second truth is some of it comes from within, and that's something we can work with. The third truth is you can work with this and reduce, and in many cases eliminate, destructive, unhelpful emotions, thoughts, feelings, ideas, opinions. And the fourth truth is there is a method by which you, if you follow the method, you'll get there or you'll move in that direction. So that then takes us to the four, the eightfold path, which starts with right understanding, which is what we've just described. The four noble truths is right understanding. And that word right is not about, you know, right and wrong. It's about skill. It's about being able to be nuanced and think things through properly. So we start with an understanding about life, that life can be problematic, a lot of issues are internal in our head, and we can do something about it. 
The second one then is our intention. What are our thoughts? What's going on in our mind? And if we can be skillful with what is produced by the mind or what we allow to come out from the mind, then our world will be better. Our inner world, our family life, our work life will be better. And from intention, we then get to speech. How do we communicate? If your thoughts are better, more skillful, more thought through, your speech will likely be better. But you have to be careful with words because what you say with one word might be interpreted by another person differently from how you expected it to be. So we have to be skillful again with communication. And that includes, obviously, good listening. Then there's also the actions that we do. What do we do? And can we be skillful in what we decide to do? Then there's livelihood, which is amazing. I've always thought that's amazing. This is 500 BC, these teachings. And he's talking about, Russ and I were talking earlier, um, and we're saying, yeah, this is right, livelihood. But we're talking about a contemporary 2022 company and the work it's doing and why it's doing it. But this is 500 BC asking, you should try to earn your living, earn your keep in a way that is skillful, non-harming um, and nurturing, if you can, for you and for those around you. And then it goes to, well, let's, how, how do you do this mentally? And that becomes right effort. This is hard work. I've been doing this for 24 years. And you have to start afresh every morning. You have to work at noticing what's going on. You have to work at trying to get your thoughts right. You have to work at trying to understand what life is really like. You have to work at the words that you say. You have to work at the things that you do. You have to work at your livelihood and make it honed properly. So this is right effort. Right effort says this requires thought and skill. How much do you put into it? If you put too much, you burn out. If you don't do enough, you lapse back. How do you keep it at the right level that's healthy for you and that keeps you progressing? And now we're coming to the stage where the last, the last two of the, the Eightfold Path um, come into play and they intertwine because they're right mindfulness and right concentration. Now, you can't be mindful if your concentration isn't good because mindfulness is noticing what's going on. So the mind drifts away. That's poor concentration. You're not mindful. But when you build up mindfulness, you also build up the quality of concentration, the ability to focus and concentrate on what's appropriate for longer. And then the mind wanders, you notice it, you bring it back. So that's the quality of mindfulness is the noticing and the shifting of mental state to something more nurturing, more constructive. Or if something's going on that's good in your life and you notice it, then you can intensify it. You can gain more from it in the moment, just by pure attention, which is concentration. Hence the two together, right mindfulness, right concentration. Yeah, um, it, it makes sense that the, we're talking about the two in um, uh, in combination um, today on, on this particular um, recording, but, but also recognising that all of this ties together in its uh, entirety because it's not necessarily just sufficient to understand the first element of that there is the inevitability of suffering and then just going okay i'm not not going to do any <laughs> not going to go any further down that 
um, route in terms of exploring the four noble truths and and um, what's beyond that. Uh, we we're also discussing this through the kind of lens of how to apply this in family business scenarios, and uh, I guess that it it just naturally fits as well in terms of what we've been discussing in previous conversations around the application to it. If there is a natural synergy sure. because this is something that is applicable in life. But are there any particular kind of um, areas where you think this is more pertinent for family business given, I mean, obviously you've lived that experience yourself. Um, is there anything sort of there that you think is more pertinent? Yes, I think first thing to say is that mindfulness helps a person generally. When it comes to family businesses, there are specifics that are potentially problematic. We, you're working with your siblings or your cousins or your parents or your children. You're also inherently then involving your in-laws because they will have views, they will have to suffer the or enjoy the consequences of business decisions. You have lifelong habits personally as an individual and lifelong habits in relationship to one another in the family. You have views about your community. You have views about the purpose of your, of your business. You have views about the future direction and purpose of the business. And so do all other people in the family and all other people at senior level in the business. And therefore, mindfulness with reg- in that scenario is a lot to do with self-awareness with regard to you and how you relate to all of those people and all of those institutions and all those aspects of, of the business world. When you are mindful, it's asking you, first of all, just to get better at noticing what's going on. Very often in our lives, we are reactive. We don't think we're reactive. We think we're thinking. We think we're thinking things through. But actually, the thinking we're doing is just being produced by a mind that's been programmed over decades by living, by life experience, and by our genetic tendencies. Some people are more naturally short-tempered, some people are more naturally laid back and calm. So all these things are influencing our supposed clear thinking. And what mindfulness says is start to notice. Start to notice maybe unhelpful traits that are going on in your own mind. Start to notice the way that you maybe are a wee bit disparaging of one person in the family because you're the older sister, the older brother, or or you're the father, or something like that. And you start to see that your thinking is not right. It's not skillful. It's just automatic and reactive. And when you start to see that it's not helpful, you can start to change it. Even just instead of blurting out your view about something at a meeting, just noticing that you blurt out views at a meeting. And then instead just say, that's not helpful. We'll just pause. And when you pause, maybe someone else can get a word in that is helpful to the meeting. 
and you have served the meeting well by not saying anything. So it's, it's those qualities, it's the quality of a more in-depth and insightful observation, series of observations, that over time, if everyone in the business, everyone in the family side of the business can develop these skills together, then you start to have this developing wisdom of communication, of thinking, therefore of decision-making, of the livelihood of the business. And all stems from, because all we ever have is what's in our mind. You know, all the material things we have, all the resources we have, all come, all can only be used by a mind that is skillful enough to use them well. And we cannot get a mind that's too skillful. We cannot get too wise for our own good. You know, every time we develop our quality of mind, every time we develop our quality of thinking, improves the end result of our own life as an individual, our family life and our business life. Yeah, that, the the point you made there that really resonated was in, in, in terms of self-awareness. Uh, and the the realization that um, perhaps the way I approach things in a in a particular way that is is part of a character trait of mine is not as helpful as an alternative approach might be. So, over speaking everybody in a meeting or not voicing my opinion during um, a meeting in, in that sense, because that's very different from awareness of other people's character traits which can often maybe a, a point of tension is that the, where we're saying about the word right and and that not being the moral judgment of, of right or wrong but more skillful is that if we do think that our way is right in a moral way and there's no alternative to it you close your mind to the the options and possibilities that could sit around that table in those types of discussions so being skillful about that is um, the right kind of mindfulness and, and, and focus for um, opening up the opportunities that that can bring to it. Yes, I think that one of the beauties of mindfulness is it teaches you the importance of tolerance of difference, tolerance of different opinions. I can fervently believe that this is right for the business. But if two other people in the room fervently believe that something else is right for the business that is contrary to mine, then we have a genuine difference of opinion. Now, what tends to happen when you have a difference of opinion is everybody tries to outdo the other, you know, by bringing their selective evidence, you know, or views, views on, on the subject. And actually... The better thing for everyone is to accept and tolerate difference of opinion. You still have to come to a decision. Coming to a decision then brings in the mind again. It's just what's the skillful way to reach a decision? Because you believe A, I believe B, and the two are not compatible. Well, is there a good process by which we can work through this and come to a conclusion. 
is there a process that other people use that is skillful that helps you do that? Is there a process by which you can parachute in someone else to explore objectively all the, all the evidence for that direction versus all the evidence for that direction? Now, you can't generalise about these things because each one is unique and requires to be tailored and thought through. But the general process of genuinely accepting difference rather than trying to browbeat each other to, to accept your view or the other person's view, but actually follow an agreed process, a process that everybody thinks this is fair. Let's work through that. And because we do have to come to a conclusion, you can't do A and B because they're mutually incompatible. But we want to do one of those two and we need to find a method by which we get to decide which of those two we do. Now, that sounds a wee bit dry and sort of specialist, but that's how life is. You know, if we don't do it that way, then we just keep clashing and often we don't come to a conclusion. And within families, often we see that there is a difference of opinion and we don't want to bring it up because we don't like conflict within the family. That's horrendous for the business. And it's not good for the family because you hold grudges. <laughs> I wish, wish we'd been doing this, we should have been doing that. And that can go on for years and years and years. And that's really unhealthy. So what mindfulness allows us to do is to accept difference, look skillfully at methods by which we can reach a decision. And that then takes a lot of the heat out of it. And we possibly can come to not just accept one decision, but actually go with it 100% because the process has been right. And process, by process, I don't mean some kind of cold, technological sort of manner. I just mean something that everybody buys into as a method by which you reach a, a decision. Mm. And um, that, as you say, it's something that can feel counterintuitive sometimes within a family environment as to why would we need something like that because we know, love and trust each other and therefore bringing in something like that is, is perhaps not. But, but I think the key um, phrase that, that's used here is the noticing of things. And it can be really easy or, um, yeah, easy I think is the right word in terms of getting your head down within a business and just working within it the whole time. And in the same sense as um, noticing in ourselves certain things, is there a parallel there to be drawn between the difference of working in the business and working on the business in, in terms of when we notice our thoughts, we're working on our mind rather than just constantly working in our minds and, and letting that take over? Yes, uh, I think that's a really good analogy. Mindfulness is noticing what's going on in order to work on the mind. That's its whole purpose, is to see what's happening and determine if what's happening in the mind is good enough for the moment or whether that moment could be enhanced by you doing something with your mind to make your mind think something better. Um, and it's the, the simplest example I, I always think of is a row at home, which doesn't happen because someone notices they're about to create that row by retorting to someone 
noticing it, which is the being mindful part, pausing everything in your head, gently taking your attention to something else, calming everything down in your own mind and then say, let's not argue. Do you want a glass of wine? Do you want a cup of coffee? You know, that is pure mindfulness and that is taking us away from the reactive automatic mind, which is being in the mind, to being temporarily out of the mind, looking in, saying, whoa, what's going on there is not going to help. I'll let it go and I'll put something into my mind that is going to help. And so it's that process. Trying to do that all the time is hard work, which we talk, covered about earlier in Right Effort, you know, in the previous episode. But this is so helpful to, to all quality of communication and to all relationships. If I, wanted, if I could touch on something that you mentioned just, just before you moved on to that particular subject, um, Russ, you mentioned about, you know, you know, we all know, love and trust each other, you know, in the family. Well, I would maybe question that a little bit. We think we know each other. How well we know each other is skewed by our bringing up, our living as in becoming adults with each other, especially siblings. Or how well do you really know your cousins? How well do you really know your parents? How well do they really know you? And, and I would question the degree to which we actually know each other. And I think mindfulness helps us to try and reset that and, and start to learn to really know one another. Love as well. I mean, love, I would say, fingers crossed, yeah, we love each other in a family. But doesn't necessarily mean that we like each other in a family. Doesn't necessarily mean that we admire the qualities each of us have in a family. So those aspects, love is not enough. It's a great thing, but it's not sufficient. And the word trust is a, a great, my, my eldest brother, John, um, who was the second managing director of our family business, he once taught me that um, trust had three aspects to it. Um, and one is honesty, you know, the are they going to take the money out, out the till um, at the end of the day and steal it for themselves? You know, so there's that obvious thing about trust. But the other thing is um, reliability. You know, can you rely that they're actually going to turn up to the meeting on time? Are they volatile? And the other one is quality of work. You know, can you trust that they can make it to the highest degree of that you require for the business? And I don't think in most families in business that you can actually say that all family members think that all other family members are reliable and working at this, the highest level. The best example I have of thinking about trust is actually George Best, the, the great Northern Irish um, footballer who had the privilege of actually seeing in one game in, in my youth, he was, the quality was astonishing. So there's no doubt, you know, he had the capabilities, so you could trust the capabilities. But could you trust him to turn up? Could you trust him to turn up sober? Could you trust him to do it on the day? No, he wasn't reliable. And we need to 
start to observe our own qualities of our own capabilities, our own reliability, our own honesty, and everyone else's around us. And this is mindfulness helping us to start to see in a fresh way, who are we as a family in business? What is required of us as family in business? And are there gaps? Are there gaps in our own qualities? Can we nurture them? Can we nurture other people's? And similarly with the quality of trusting decision-making, are we able to make the best decisions? How do we know we're making the best decisions? Do we step back far enough away from our minds to see that we're actually inputting properly to discussions about the direction of the business? Because if we don't actually observe this, we could just be going on programmed, skewed thinking that's been in us since we were four years old. Mm. And and I think they're brilliant points in terms of the um, no love and, and trust each other and um, very um, brilliantly put across in terms of the, the um, explanation and, and an example you used there. The, the, the other um, kind of area, I guess, or the... Um, potential solution that a lot of family businesses are faced with is is this role of family governance in terms of helping with a lot of what we've spoken about in terms of decision making and in in terms of um the kind of fair process that that might help support some of this and again i think you and i are both of the same school of thought that kind of off-the-shelf solution of Here's a family charter. Change the name at the top to to suit your your family and sign at the bottom. It is it's not necessarily as impactful as as perhaps an alternative route would be. But but again, approaching these questions around governance and decision making in a mindful way. I know we would probably say this because this is the topic of the podcast and, and the, the what we're trying to, to achieve with, with um, these episodes is to, to encourage people to approach this in perhaps a more mindful way. But there's only to, to me, there's only sort of upside in that in terms of approaching it in a more thought out and more um, mindful way rather than it being uh, sporadic, right? We need this policy to deal with that and then reacting to things as they crop up having the thought and, and time to work on this um in a deliberate sense is is likely to be more beneficial yeah um there are so many things in standard family business based practice over the last 30 years or so that i think are, are fairly flawed um not that they're flawed in themselves, but they, they're not starting from the right perspective. You know, and when, when you were talking there, I just scribbled down family governance, family office, family constitution, family meetings, three-circle model. They're all great in theory, but unless you have a mind that thinks clearly, unless you are able to manage out your biases, 
your skewed views, your historic perspectives on one another, then no amount of nice technocratic um, solutions are going to work. I mean, it's, it's tragic the amount of times I've seen people with a beautifully written constitution, family constitution, who 10 years after it was written are still not implementing the things that are in the constitution. And why are they not implementing it? Because they weren't fully there with their minds when they were writing it. They were just basically saying, I'm going through a process, tick, 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 come to the conclusion, boom, let's sign here. And everything's rosy. Well, everything's not rosy because you haven't actually contributed to it. You've just reacted to it. You require a mind that is capable of excluding your own biases, noticing them and excluding them and bringing a clear empty, calm mind to these huge decisions about a family and business. And not only that, but everybody else has to do that as well. Otherwise, you get a poor quality of mind coming into the discussions. And we need to come to conclusions about major issues, you know, primarily succession and who's getting what and who's getting what leadership role, etc., etc. Most families do that in a bumpy, clumsy way. Um, most families don't explore it in the depth that it should be explored. Most families don't do it with the calmness and the compassion that it deserves. And the only way to get those qualities is to develop your mind. And if you don't, you reap the consequences of making decisions with a faulty, flawed mind. And we've all got faulty, flawed minds, so it's not a question of making them perfect. But if you were to take a football analogy again, if you didn't do any training, you didn't stretch your, your legs, you didn't do anything in terms of flexing, or building up your strength, you go in a football park and you will perform poorly. You go into a family meeting and your mind is not clear, you haven't honed it, you haven't worked on it, then you will go in there with a mind that is less capable of contributing well than a mind that could have been. And I think you have a duty to yourself, to the business, and to everyone else in the family to have the best mind attending these important meetings, these important discussions. Um, and a mind that is mindful notices when the mind is unhelpful, notices when the mind is helpful, caring, compassionate, thoughtful, considerate of others, and it can bring those qualities more strongly to the table. It can also notice when other people's minds are not being helpful and have the skill skill of speech to counter a, maybe a destructive or an unhelpful um, perspective from other some other person without wounding that other person, without bouncing it back onto them in a, in a harsh way. So this is all about the finest qualities that we have as a person. And that requires mindfulness. It also requires concentration, you know, which we've touched on a wee bit in this um, sort of talk so far. 
concentration matters to stay on the ball. What often happens in meetings, and I think we, you and I have both seen this so many times, and I'm sure all the families listening to this or the advisors listening to this have seen it umpteen times as well, is that you go off track. You're trying to focus on X and somebody says something Y that might have been something that happened seven years ago and so and so, and you're, all of a sudden everybody's on a different track. And you're trying to get first thing back to focus on. And you need to be aware when your concentration is lapsing, when your mind is wandering, so that you can bring things back to the discussion that we're actually wanting to have. So many important discussions, debates, meetings are totally scuppered by just the mind wandering to another subject. You know, back to the football analogy again, you can't be playing football, you know, for 35 minutes and then all of a sudden somebody introduces a rugby ball and the goalposts are changed. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. you just can't do that. But we do this in meetings all the time and it just gets in the way. And it gets in the way to the detriment of everyone in the family and everyone in the business yeah. and the business itself. Yeah. And continuing that um, football analogy in terms of something you mentioned earlier around noticing when we're likely to react that could cause um, offence or an argument or some kind of disagreement. It, it's a bit like the goalkeeper not focusing, not being concentrated, not having the right mindset and a shot comes because you, you've got to react pretty quickly in that instance in order to, to stop them uh, stop the ball going in the goal and, and therefore practicing around this and the work and I, I know we covered um, right effort uh, in our, our previous discussion but ensuring that we're practicing and, and continuing to remain sharp means we give ourselves a better chance of catching those thoughts where we notice actually I'm about to react in a way that's not going to be conducive to what we're all trying to achieve here. So, again, it, this all, as it is very obvious in, in terms of why the, it was laid out in this way, this all links back together in terms of the, the combination of what we've discussed over um, these recordings. Yep. And that preparation of the mind, that nurturing of the mind is ongoing, and every moment, as best we can, you know, we focus and I do my mindfulness practices, which many people will know about, is basically from the stereotype view of the Buddha, which is, you know, a guy sitting cross-legged with his hands on his lap, closed his eyes, and seemingly doing nothing. But that seemingly doing nothing is not mindfulness. Um, what is mindfulness is noticing what's going on when you're sitting doing that. So I can close my eyes and notice my breath going in, notice my breath going out and it's feeling quite nice and peaceful, then all of a sudden, ping, something says, you know, I've got to go and get my dinner and after my dinner I've got to pick my daughter up from the airport. And then all of a sudden, your mind is gone. You're gone, it's gone from where you wanted it to be, which is in the breath. So what do you do then? This is right concentration. The concentration is to notice when your mind wanders, pause it rather than getting carried away with what the mind wanders to and take your attention back, in this case, to the breath and you're building up this skill this is what mindfulness what people think of mindfulness is actually mindfulness training it's training the mind to notice that's why mindfulness and concentration go together 
Concentration and focus is not having your mind on one thing because that's not possible for a long period of time. The mind is evolved to automatically wander. It's to point out that sound. What was that sound? It was unusual. It's to say, oh, I need to get that sorted. Oh, I'm worried about so-and-so. Or that person did that to me in 1993 and I hate their guts for it. And these things will pop up regardless of what you do in your life. So concentration and mindfulness is noticing when it does that. When you're taking your mind away from where you would like it to be or where you want it to be or the quality it is, and then just pause it all. Just stop it all. Don't suppress it. Don't hate it. Don't hate yourself for doing it. Don't think you're rubbish at doing things. Just pause and then think, that's not a good space I'm going to. I'll take my attention somewhere else. The breath is used as a skill um, and the skill of it because the breath is with you always. You don't have to remember your phone to notice your breath. You don't have to have an app to notice your breath. It's always there for you and mostly it's pleasant and relaxing as well. So it helps the mind get focused again, get where it wants to be again. Right, okay, and I do this in meetings. Eyes open, obviously, because you don't want people to think of falling asleep. But, you know, talking about something, <laughs> enough, I'm thinking, yeah. oh, he always comes with that. You know, he always comes with that. He always brings up that subject. And that's the distraction, that feeling. Notice it, pause it. Breathe in, breathe out. Oh, still a wee bit agitated. Breathe in, breathe out, feeling calm. Now I've got a clear mind. Now how do you respond to that person? And that way you continue to be focused. You're on the right track. And so these practices, I do this every morning and every evening. It can be 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 5 minutes. It doesn't really matter. The importance is to try and build the skill of noticing and shifting when you need to shift. Noticing and shifting. Noticing and enhancing when it's good. So this becomes the norm. So that you can bring that into family meetings. You can bring that into daily work. You can bring it to your home. You can bring it to your poor, benighted spouse or partner or kids who get the worst of you when you're tired and grumpy or whatever and you notice it and just let that go and then you can love them again and this is so important in life that we are aware of these things that we're aware of what's going on in our own mind when we do this well we enhance everything around us compared to how we would have naturally reacted and brought to brought to the table. Um, and that's all you can do. You can only bring the best of you to any moment, regardless of what the situation is. And But often we don't. We don't bring the best of us because the best of us has been pushed aside by distractions, by skewed views, by dubious opinions. Oh. And this, this may be a bit of a chicken and the egg kind of um, conversation or question rather in terms of what we're saying there about sort of going through the motions and the process of say creating family governance as an example um, and that in order to for that to be more effective having the right mindset and approach to it and the right grasp of how you're making decisions um, can come into play if it's 
if families are listening to this and going, well, I, I like the sound of, of having these processes and this this fair process in place in order to, to help us make these decisions, do they start working on themselves in terms of mindfulness um, and, and their understanding and, and what we've covered in, in these shows? Do they start working on what collectively as a family they might need in order to help them with that? Does it run alongside each other? And I'm, I'm guessing it's progression over perfection because, I mean, you, you've spoken many times about, you know, you're t- 23 years into to this uh, and still learning every time that you, you're doing something. So it's not, you're not going to get to a point six months down the line and go, right, now's the time I can, <laughs> you know, everything's sorted. Um, so, so how would you sort of suggest families approach um, those kind of discussions? Yeah, well, first, I totally agree with you. Um, you will not get perfect. Um, don't even think about it. Um, just work on it. You know, work on the mindfulness exercises. Notice a sip of water. Notice that you're alive. Notice that you've got your head in a pillow. Notice that you've got a roof over your head. Notice that you've got beauty all around you. Things like that. You will build up that skill of being mindful. Just keep working at it. Sit down. Close your eyes. Notice your breath going in. Notice your mind wandering to that holiday you were in three years ago in Turkey. Take your mind back from it. Take your mind back to the breath. And, and that that will build up this skill. Now, with regard to how you bring it into the business or into the family, that depends on the business and the family. Um, you have to think that through. This is now skillful action again. This is right action. Do you bring, do you just build it up in yourself? which I would recommend, that you start to see the benefits in yourself so that you've confirmed that this is good for others, good for the business, good for the people around you, good for your family. And then you have to think through, how would you best bring this in? And that is a tricky decision to make because it does depend on circumstances. You might have people in the family who are very cynical, um, very sceptical, maybe arrogant about their own ways always being the best. You might have people who are up for it, but maybe need more focus, more effort than other people in the business. Um, so you have to think it through what's what's the right approach. What I certainly wouldn't do, because I know because I did it and it was wrong, um, which is wrong action and wrong speech, you know, or, not no wrong sort of unskillful speech, unskillful action, is don't evangelise it. Don't come and say it because trust me, well, don't trust me, try it. Mindfulness works and it works wonders. It's an astonishingly helpful and nurturing and enlightening thing. But once you try something like that, you think, whoa, everybody needs this. You know, and so you come rushing in the next day and say, we need to start mindfulness or, or you would benefit so much from mindfulness. And what your mind and what your unskillful speech, you think it's skillful speech, you're saying, I want to help you. Everything can be better. And what people are hearing is this really unskillful speech, which is basically saying, you're rubbish at what you do. I can make you better, which doesn't usually go down well with people. Certainly doesn't go down well at home. Yeah. Trust me. Um, in the business, <laughs> it's the same. So there may be better or more skillful 
ways around it. So, I mean, part of why Russ and I are doing this is basically to be able to share with people that an understanding of what this is all about. And if maybe people would listen to this or listen to Professor Mark Williams, Oxford University, one of the world's leading psychologists, he's got fabulous talks on YouTube on this. So there are people of calibre that you can listen to for yourself, watch the videos, watch the lectures, watch the little three-minute interviews with them, and then maybe suggest that you've been interested in this subject, maybe the family could watch this together and have a wee discussion about whether, you know, we could do something in the business or within the family um, on this subject. So you have to be subtle, you have to be skillful. It really comes down to that. And, and I can't, without knowing the family, without knowing the business, without knowing the circumstances, I can't say do X, Y, and Z, and everything will be rosy. It's like everything we've discussed, Russ, in, in our, our work together on, on family business. Um, there is no easy answer. There is no set plan. There is no best practice. You have to do the work. You have to tailor it to the circumstance and the people and the entity that you're trying to help. And that equally goes for each member of a family in a business they have to think it through and they have to tailor it appropriately. Um, I wish it was easy. I've always said, you know, in, in the work I do, a lot of work helping people with their mental well-being in this field. And I always say to them, you know, if there was a pill that does that, that did this, I would just be sit, giving out pills every day to people and say, do this, this will make your mind better. Hmm. Um, but unfortunately, there's not a yeah. pill, there's just work to be done. Yeah. And I think a really important um, aspect there that you mentioned around not trying to, to convince everybody that they must go down this route be because of, of the benefit they may have had, that it, it may be that in terms of, of hearing that there's some um, s sort of trepidation around uh, opening up a, as a, a topic to explore because it is a everything is a personal choice in in that sense but but even if the you're the only person in the family or the family business that is following the, this route and, and understanding the four noble truths and, and the eightfold path just that alone will i believe help your mind and help your thinking in terms of how you then work with others and it's not about you know, I've I've taken this pill. I want everybody else to take this pill in in the family in order to get them onto the same page. It's we can only control what we can do. Therefore, getting my side of things right, and and if other people come along with it, fantastic. But that it's no excuse not to do it for yourself if you think, well, I'm not going to convince anybody else in my family not to come on this journey with me. Yep, and I think that doing this work on your mind will make you happier, it will make you calmer, it will make you think more clearly and more deeply. And that is always a good thing for an individual. If you can bring that to the business, then that enhances the business. If you can bring more people in the business onto developing their mind in this way, then that will further enhance the business. There is an outside chance, and it's, it is worth just 
touching on as we come to the end of this discussion, that you may start to notice if the family is not moving in that direction and don't want to move in that direction, you might realise that maybe you shouldn't be in the family business. You know, if your desire, your vision, your wish, your hope for the culture within the business is X, but despite all your efforts and all your observation and all your exploration with the family that they want to be Y, then you have a right, and I would say as a human being with a finite existence, you have a duty to explore where you would like to be ideally in terms of your livelihood and in terms of your vocation, your purpose in life. Um, hopefully it doesn't come to that, but I think quite often in family businesses, people, when they do explore their own inner workings more deeply, they can find themselves sometimes trying to be a square peg in a round hole and that's not a recipe for happiness. Um, but fingers crossed that doesn't necessarily happen in, in your particular family. Yeah, and um, I, I do know and have, have worked with um, families where that is the best outcome. It is for people to, to pursue their own um, hopes and dreams outside of, of the family business. But again, approaching that in a skillful way is likely to, to um, result in a, a smoother, um, if it's a transition or, or smoother decision-making process around that anyway. Um, so I think that it kind of echoes what you were, were saying there. Um, as we draw this conversation to, to a, a close and um, the, the series, if you like, in, in terms of what we're covering um, to, to a close, could we reflect on what we're hoping families will take away from this. I know you covered it a little bit in there and, and in the very first sort of introduction, we, we, we sort of covered why we're doing this and, and what we want it to do. But given that we've now, I know you know this stuff inside out, but this has been a learning experience for me. It's been a journey that, uh, that I'm on. I am practicing being more mindful on a more regular basis. I'm by no means um, as often as perhaps I should be, but even in that time that we've been doing this and that I've been been pursuing that, I've noticed a difference in myself and, and the viewpoint and the, a, a more calm approach to things that, that I've been taking. And for me, part of what, what we're doing for this is to try and sort of gift that to other people in, as well in, in terms of um, if it's something they think would benefit them and, and could, could utilise, that it is... Um, you know, something that they can embrace and, and take on and use these lessons and, and learnings to, to be able to do that. And I'm just curious in terms of your thoughts on what you're hoping families will take away from, from what we've been discussing over these various recordings. Yep. So there are three things that I hope to do in the realm of family businesses. One is to help individuals have a fulfilled life, to help families remain and nurture their harmony with one another, even if there's disagreements, and if it's helpful to those first two, 
to help the business flourish as a business. So to my mind, the business is the least important of the three. A person can be happy and fulfilled despite not having a business or even if a business fails, as happened in our family. A family can be in harmony um, and loving and supporting and enjoying one another's company, even if there isn't a business um, or if a business fails. This is all doable. And if the business aligns itself to individual fulfillment and aligns itself to the family being in harmony, then I think the business is a great asset to have. If it gets in the way of it, it's a problem and should be dealt with as a problem. So bringing then mindfulness and all its philosophy, ethics and teachings to that scenario, then I hope that learning about mindfulness and learning how to practice mindfulness and learning how to try to live mindfully will nurture each individual person's potential for fulfillment and happiness in life and ability to handle the inevitable pain and difficulties that happen in life. I've just, as you know, I just came from a funeral of my brother's wife um, this morning and we're talking in the afternoon. So I, I know this, I see this, this today. But you can still be happy and fulfilled and mindfulness can help you be that way. Mindfulness can help the family nurture their harmony, nurture their togetherness, despite having differences of opinion and differences of character. And mindfulness can help a business flourish absolutely clearly. A business is much more about creativity, imagination and management um, and leadership um, than the complexities of an individual fulfilment and a family harmony. So the business side is actually the most easily helped by mindfulness. Um, the, the complex ones are working on the human. And um, I think mindfulness can do all of that. And that's my aim. I think, I hope that people listening to that have seen that this is actually a, a clear, compelling case for self-nurturing in this direction. And it's there's a joy to it, there's a beauty to it, but it's hard work. There's no doubt about that. This is hard work. Yeah, but but worth it. I, I think the, the key there is that if it was hard work and there was no benefit, there wouldn't be um, people doing it, and, and therefore there, there's um, a huge upside in, in that. Um, and I've learned a, a huge amount over the time that we've spent, not just in um, these recorded calls, but you and I have many a conversation about um, this kind of stuff. And, and I've learned a huge amount and I'm, I'm very grateful that we've been able to, to capture it and uh, uh, make it more widely um, available to people. And um, that's uh, mainly down to, to your expertise and, and knowledge in this area. So. Um, really appreciate that and thank you very much in terms of sharing that with uh, uh, the audience out there absolutely my pleasure always a pleasure thank you
It is our firm belief that it is healthy for your business, your family as a whole, and each individual involved to learn how to develop a fresh, more objective perspective of the situation each of you is in, so that clearer aims, hopes, and visions can be explored together in a positive, respectful, and constructive manner. Martin and I have created the Mindful Family Business Programme to help you with this. If you'd like to find out more about this, please head to familybusinesspartnership.com forward slash mindful for more information. Or you can email me, russ at familybusinesspartnership.com. We really hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please feel free to share it with your family. And you can even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, take care.